0: the book of exodus in sunday school and that morning they've been reading about how the people of jordan of israel crossed the red sea and when he came home from sunday school his dad said to him son what did you learn this morning and his dad was rather skeptical about what happened and what was said at church so the guy sort of made a bit of a decision decided though he didn't really ought to tell a lie he's not sure he ought to tell his father really what they said in sunday school so he said dad it was a really interesting story it was about how the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea and the Egyptians chased them. And he said, "Well, what happened then?" Well, he said, "Well, Moses got to the Red Sea and oh, it was pretty deep and pretty, pretty wide, and they couldn't get across." So Moses didn't know what to do, so he got out his phone, he checked up, found the number for the royal uh, engineers, called them out. They built a pontoon bridge across the, Reed, uh, the Red Sea. All the children of Israel went across on this pontoon bridge, and afterwards, Moses called up the RAF, and they came and bombed it, and all the Egyptians died. And his dad said, son, that sounds a bit far-fetched, doesn't it? He said, dad, if you don't believe that, you never really believe what they told me this morning. <laughs> you see, because I love the story of Exodus. Because it isn't just when they cross the Red Sea, but it's even at the beginning, as they come out of Egypt, that God does miraculous things in order to protect his people and to honour the promises that he's made. And for the first part we're going to read together this evening is from Exodus chapter 12. And I think there are four instances here that we can think about this evening from the first part of our reading in Exodus 12 where this happens. See if you can see the same ones as I did. And it says this in verse 31, During the night Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise they said, We will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, and so they plundered the Egyptians. And the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, and there were about 600,000 men on foot, Besides women and children, many other people went up with them as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. And with the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was of that yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of the 430 years, and I love this, to the very day... All the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt on this night, with all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Do you know as I read that, I was thinking about that lovely old hymn by William Cowper. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm, deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. I wonder how many times in those 430 years of slavery those Israelites had played out in their own minds as to how God was going to rescue them from that situation. I don't know what you would have come up with during that time. Whether you would have had perhaps an invading army to come and defeat the Egyptians and to set you free. Perhaps they were going to rise up and overthrow their camps. I don't know. But God had other plans. In Exodus chapter 5 verse 1, Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh and they say this. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go so they may go and hold a festival to me in the desert. See, that's the command that God gave to Moses and Aaron to deliver to Pharaoh. And despite the warnings and despite the plagues, Pharaoh, and in chapter 8 we read, all of Egypt refused to obey God's commands. And what happens when you refuse to obey God's commands? Well, they paid an extremely heavy price, not only as a nation, but also as families. And the last plague comes and they lose the firstborn son. And Pharaoh, Ramesses II, they think, orders the Israelites out. And he uses virtually exactly the same language in the original Hebrew as they used back in Exodus chapter 5. You see, you may stand up against God's will. You may try and do against it. But at the end of the day, God's will will always prevail. Philippians 2 verse 9 puts it this way. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the father and what an amazing things happened the enslaved people are begged to leave by their oppressors do you know not even perhaps in the most far fantasy of their minds in those 430 years did they perhaps think that that was the way that God was going to rescue them in fact They weren't even ready for it. You know, my wife would have hated this because I told you we're going on holiday on Friday. She's had list upon list, list of things to do before we go, list of things to take, you know, all sorts of things. They didn't even have time to make a list. They didn't have time to even prove their bread. They had to carry it out in their troughs there. They just had to go when the time came. God fulfilled his promise in an unlikely way. And once more, secondly, he not only fulfilled that promise, but there were other promises as well. For not only did he send them out of Egypt, but he also sent them with some amazing provisions as well. One of our secretaries retired on Friday, Catherine Hawker, worked for us for 30-odd years, decided that early retirement was a better option than coming to work for us. So what did we do? Well, we had a little card that went around the office, and we all wrote all exactly the same sort of things, you know, all the best and, you know, wish it was me type sort of situation. And we all put perhaps a pound or two in, and we bought her a little present. And I felt a little bit embarrassed that after 30-odd years, all she got was a bit of a dingy old card, you know, and a little bit of a, a present to send her on her way. You see, when God sent these people out, he knew that they needed things for the journey and he decided that they were going to be blessed in an amazing way. Well, he'd already told them what was going to happen. If you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 14, what does God say there? In Genesis 15 verse 14, the promise that was made many years ago and it says this in 14, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out With great possessions. And I love it. The Bible just doesn't say it only once, but it also says it's in uh, Exodus chapter 3 as well. And we read there in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. It says this I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Do you know, I think in many ways it was poetic justice, wasn't it? They worked as slaves without being paid properly for 430 years. And the Lord said, no, 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 you're not going to go empty handed. I'm going to make sure that you've got things for the journey. And so they are given gold and silver. Sadly, the people of God aren't always well paid, are they? I spoke uh, a week before last on 2 Kings chapter 4 about the prophet, thought to be Obadiah, who died. And when he died, his wife was going to have to put the kids into uh, slavery to some they owed money to, into servitude. Until the Lord came miraculously and filled up the pots with oil and blessed them. You see, God doesn't promise us great riches when we are following him, not until we come perhaps to a time to come. But he had other ideas for his people as they were going to go out into the desert. And there's this word, plunder. And I love the fact that they didn't, you know, armies tend to plunder. It's a military term. You know, that when you go in, you sort of take whatever you want to because might is best. But, you know, that doesn't always really happen. I remember in my history lessons back at school, the Duke of Wellington, when he was in the Peninsular War down in Spain and in Portugal, threatened to hang any man who stole as much as a chicken from the people around. Even then it was the, the war for hearts and minds. Well, I don't know this is what they're about, but, you know, God says, look, you don't have to take it by force, but I want to show you it's a miracle here that these people are going to become favorably disposed to you. Can you imagine that? What's just happened to them? They're going to lose their workforce. That's pretty mad enough anyway, isn't it? Cheap labor. But not only that, they've lived through all these trials and these plagues that their God has sent upon them. And yet God has made them favorably disposed in order to fulfill his promise and his faithfulness. Isn't that amazing? Philippians 4 verse 19, My God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. They gave willingly. But you know, we need to be careful with what God blesses us with. Because sometimes what God blesses us with can be used for good purposes, but sometimes it can be abused as well. If you turn over to Exodus chapter 35, and what do we read in Exodus chapter 35, verses 4 to 9? We read this. Moses said to the Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone was willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold and silver and bronze. Where did they get their gold and silver from? Do you think there were many shops in the desert with the money that they had to buy it? No, I think that what they came and gave as a free will offering to the Lord is what the Lord had blessed them with as they were leaving Egypt. And all they were doing was giving back to the Lord what he had provided for them. In the first place, isn't that what we do as we come and we bring our offering before the Lord? And in verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offering for all the work the Lord through Moses commended them to do. Isn't that an amazing thing? But you know, there's also the danger and the warning as well. If you turn back a couple of chapters to Exodus chapter 32, you read something else that happened to the gold and the silver as well. What happens Well, Moses is up in the mountain for a bit of a long time. And Aaron goes for a bit of, uh, I don't know, political correctness or listens to what the people says. And what does Aaron say? Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up. Out of Egypt, where did that gold come from that made the fatted calf? It's what the Egyptians had given to them. You see when the Lord blesses us, we can either use that for his glory and his honour and for his kingdom, or we can use it for our own selfish purposes. I love the story that was told about a man in America who had a hardware chain, and he worked really hard, and he was a good Christian man, a good family man. And he used to have one hardware shop and he used to be a regular attender at church. But as the business grew and as the Lord blessed him and he had a whole chain of hardware shops, he suddenly found out he was far too busy. And he stopped going to church on a Sunday. First of all, it was just occasionally. But then, week by week, he was not there. And the pastor noticed he wasn't there. And his pastor said, Do you mind if I come and have a word with you? So he said, Fine. And he turned up. He had to go in between meetings and he was in his office. And after they had a little chat, the pastor said, do you mind if I pray for you? And the guy said, no, fine. And the guy got down on his knees, the pastor, and said, Lord, he said, I pray that you'll send a recession in this business. I pray that you'll close every shop that this man owns, apart from the one that he started with, in order that he can look after his family, but nothing more. And the guy said, I didn't think that was a very fair prayer to pray. He said, well, he said, the Lord has blessed you, but what have you done with what the Lord has blessed you? You see, your heart has been turned away from him and towards your business. You've made your business your God, the goal of making that money. And when God blesses us, we must be very careful about how we use, how he blesses us. And the time and the talents and the financial provision that he gives us have got to be for his glory and for his honor. And thirdly, what else does the promise fulfill? Well, did you notice when we read there how many there were? Well, it says there when they left... I don't know how long it took him to leave, but there were an awful lot of people there, weren't there? 600,000 men on foot. Well, I must say that some commentators differ about whether the word thousand actually means thousand or whether it means family and clans and in some places you get that word which is translated uh, in Job sixteen fifteen, Micah 5 verse 2 and 1 Samuel 10 verse 9 as being a clan instead of being a thousand. Numbers eleven twenty one and Exodus 38 talks about it being 600,000. It was an awful lot of them wasn't it? How many people went across to Egypt in the first place? Well, there were probably about 70 or so of that family of Jacob that went across there. But what was the promise that had been given in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2? And this is the promise that God fulfilled as they came. It says this, he said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. What a great thing they have grown so much that that promise had been fulfilled. 600,000 of them or so left, plus the women and the the children. But I like that as well, that it wasn't just them who left, but they were a bit of a mixed crowd as well that left. There were other people that left with them as well. Many other people went up with them. I don't know who those people are. I keep a little book. I told you I'll ask a question when I get them. I'd like to know who they were. You know, commentators again differ. Were these people that had sort of uh, allied themselves to the Israelites, perhaps they'd intermarried with them? I don't know. Perhaps they were just disaffected people in Egypt who perhaps saw the way that things were going. Perhaps it was other prisoners of war that decided to leave at the same time. I don't know. There's one thing we find out in uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, is that as these people go out into the children, uh, with the children of Israel into the wilderness, that they prove a stumbling block. For the children of Israel. I remember when I was about to go to school, big school as we called it. I was about 11. It would have been August, early September 1977. And my dad called me in and sat me down. And I was expecting the lecture about son, this costs me a lot of money. I want you to work hard. I want you to respect your teachers. Not a bit of that at all. He sat me down. He said, This, he said, it's a new start, a new school. He said, I'm very sorry about your family. You're stuck with us. There's not a lot you can do. But be very careful as to who you choose as your friends. Because your friends will see an awful lot about you. Their decisions that you've made to associate with them. You see, the problem was that though these people left with the children of Israel in fulfillment of the promise that was given, they proved to be a stumbling block as well. I have a sister called Mary. She's 18 months older than me. We used to fight like cat and dog as we were growing up, but we love each other dearly, really. She doesn't go to church at all. She says she's a Christian, but has no desire to read God's word or to pray. What is the difference between us? We were both brought up in a loving Christian home, both encouraged, both had our little promise boxes. Remember, you used to have those? I used to hide hers away, just to really irritate her. If you ask my mum and dad, you know, they'll say there was one big difference between us. When I went to school, I took those words of my dad to heart. And although I had friends in the rugby club and others who weren't Christians, I made sure that my best friends were Christians. And when there were times when I didn't particularly want to go to church or I was rebelling, I had friends who loved the Lord and loved me and made sure that I went to church. My sister Mary didn't. She had friends who used to go out before they were 18, clubbing and drinking and doing all sorts of things. Didn't go too far off the rails, not too rebellious. But nobody who led her back to the Lord. Friends are incredibly important who we associate ourselves with. And there is a warning here for the children of Israel that as they go out into the desert, they take these people with them. I don't know why they went with them, but they were going to cause a stumbling block. Be careful who you associate with. I'm very pleased that my two daughters have decided that if they're going to find a man, and they haven't found one yet, so if you're looking for a a wife for any of your family or relations, I've got two girls who are going. One's 25 uh, tomorrow, and the other one's 27. But, you know, they said to me, Dad, we'd only ever go out with somebody who loved the Lord. You know, and I'm grateful for that. David Cole has that lovely little expression, better to be single than to wish you were. And I've seen so many people that perhaps have said, well, I know what the Lord says I ought to be doing, but they marry non-Christians. And the life has been blighted because of it. We need to be careful who we associate with. And then fourthly, what's that first, uh, the fourth promise as well? Well, I did repeat it as we read it there together, wasn't it? They went out 430 years to the very day. Well, if you turn back to Exodus, sorry, to Genesis chapter 15, you'll find out the promise that was given there. Genesis 15 verses 13 and 14 know the Lord said to him know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and ill-treated treated 400 years but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves we read that together and verse 16 in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Acts 7 and Galatians 3, you'll find out that they were in slavery. Some says 400 years. I don't know whether that's just sort of a rounding up or whether that's just a a difference in the start of when you actually measure the period from. But God had not forgotten them. You see, when God fulfills his promise, he does it at the right time. I love the life of Joseph. And it comes to that little verse that's probably taught me more than anything else in Scripture. When Joseph is in prison, and you read that little phrase, after two full years. Now you could read that, that they were full years because Joseph had been busy in prison. I'm sure he had been. But I read that as well, that it seemed a long time. I don't know whether you had a little pebble and scratched a day off each day. Lord, when are you going to release me? When are you going to free me? But you know, God had his timing that was there. To the very day. God will never leave us. God has never forgotten us. God has never forsaken us. But at just the right time. And I love it. It wasn't just exactly at the right time. But also it says he kept vigil that night. Who was the big God of the Egyptians? It was Ra, the sun god. Thought to be the most powerful of all their gods. And what happened at night? Well he couldn't compete with the forces of evil. So he used to go off. But God was there. My granny used to have a lovely little phrase. She had many lovely phrases, but I love the one that said this, God works the night shift. God works the night shift. (laughs) Why does he work the night shift? Well, we dream dreams and we see visions depending on how old we are. That's what scripture tells us. How many times have I lay awake at night worrying about things? God hasn't been able to get a word in edgeway during the day, but as my wife is snoring next to me and I can't share my troubles with her, God's working the night shift. And he teaches me and shows me that his promises will never be let down, but at just the right time, he's going to come and fulfill what he's promised. God works the night shift. Never forget that. And then time's almost gone on, but let's just read the last few verses of this chapter verses 43 onwards. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations set for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have brought may eat of it after you have circumcised him, but a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must not be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside of the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised that he may take part like one born in the land no uncircumcised male may eat of it the same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you well, we could go into this in great depth and great detail but you know i think there are a couple of things here we can notice first of all god is giving them a visual picture of what he's done for them i'm getting old now and i tend to forget people's names There are lots of things I don't forget. I can tell you FA Cup scores going back donkey's years. But, you know, particularly when it comes to writing Christmas cards. My wife, she remembers all our friends, the names of their kids, and all the rest of it. I don't know why. But I, I'm Groucho Marx, who used to be terrible for forgetting people's names. And he used to go up to people and say, Hello, nice to see you, what's your name? And if they said Bill, he said, Oh, I knew that, but what's your surname? And if they said the surname like Smith, he said, Oh, I knew that. Well, you know, that was his way of dealing with it. But for my way, I try and conjure up a picture in my mind so that at the end of the day, you know, I try and remember it. So if the guy is called Orchard, I sort of have visions of like apples growing out of their head. I know I didn't say it was logical, it's a bit weird. But it just helps me to remember. All the people that I actually meet. It's a visual picture. And this is what he wants them to say. I don't want you to forget what has happened. This has been so amazing what God has done. You would have thought they wouldn't have forgotten it, would you? It's amazing how many husbands forget their anniversary, say something amazing's happened. Somebody's decided to love them and marry them, and they forget it. How can you forget it? But God says, You mustn't forget this. I'm gonna give you this Passover, it is so special. And he says it's for those who are part of the covenant. It's not for foreigners who haven't been circumcised. It's not for the servants. It's for all to take part, verse 47. It's there, this, uh, uh, anyway, the whole community of Israel must celebrate it. It's to be eaten inside, 46. It's the community aspect of it. Verse 46, there's no bones to be broken. Perhaps a picture of what happened as Jesus, as not a bone was body, as he was our Passover lamb upon that cross. It's the instruction that's given that we must remember what was done for us. It's an important, a visual picture, and it's an important thing that we do at communion. 1 Corinthians that 11 is given, in 1 Corinthians 11, isn't it? That warning that's given that we mustn't eat or drink unworthily. It's a lovely little picture in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 5. It talks there about the family meal, the funeral meal that happened when somebody died. And when somebody used to die back in that culture, do you know what used to happen? The family used to get together after the person that died. And there are four things I want noted about that. The first thing was that when they got together, it was only for the family. Nobody else was allowed to attend. No best friends, nobody else. It was just the family members. Those who had been circumcised. Well, we may not have been physically circumcised, but we've been circumcised of heart. And when God calls us around his table, it's only for those who know him and love him. Some people just can't understand what we do to take bread and wine. That's a bit strange what you do, isn't it? But it's for the family who understand. And secondly, as they gathered together, it was a disgrace for anyone to be absent. And you can read at writings of this time where people used to travel great distances. It's all to be there for the funeral meal. And thirdly, what they ate was very simple. Just some simple bread and wine that they used to share together. Because the food wasn't important. But fourthly, what they did was to remember the person that had died. And perhaps the wife would turn around and say, he was a wonderful husband to me. we would be married, I don't know, 46 years and he'd never let me down. He'd never disappointed me. Well, he probably wouldn't say that because most men do disappoint don't you? But you know, he'd always provided for me. And perhaps the son who'd been in business with his dad say, oh, he was a fantastic man to work with, a man of integrity, a man of honor, someone who I could work up to, someone who I could live by. And perhaps the daughter used to say, well, society didn't think much of me, but dad always had time for me. He always loved me. He always encouraged me. See, it was an important time, just like this Passover time. It was for the family to come together to remember what had happened. And that's what we're going to do this evening. This Passover, this communion that Christ has given us that we should not forget. And then time's gone, but verse 50 and 51. The Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They did just what the Lord had commanded. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 does the Lord delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And you know, when we come to dark times in our lives, times when God may seem distant just as they did for those Israelites in captivity, we must remember that God will keep his promises in his own time. He's provided salvation for us, and we must stand firm. Don't grumble, but look to him and to celebrate all that he has done for us. What an amazing thing God did for them. 430 years in slavery and captivity. Not forgotten, but God was working his purposes out in order that his people could be released. Amen.